Welcome to Sparrow Falls, a refuge from the storms of life. When afflictions fall upon us, they often bring with them a host of other problems that compound the effect of their pain. Some of these difficulties are short-term, such as medical costs, lost time at work, funeral expenses, and such. Some difficulties are long-term. Some will last a lifetime. This is episode four. If you'd like to stay up on what's happening at Sparrow Falls, subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on social media. You can find out more about that on our website at sparrowfalls.org. Now here's our host, Todd Schaefer. Affliction can bring disability, job change, the end of a career, the downsizing of a lifestyle, and the end of a relationship. There may be some roles and responsibilities that we must step down from, and many people who depend upon us can no longer expect from us what they once did. Affliction rarely comes to us as a singular difficulty. Affliction pulls behind it a cart full of collateral problems. Its manifest can include new limitations, losses, changes, dependencies, challenges, and other difficulties, like a snowball rolling downhill, getting bigger and bigger as it goes. Some of these problems sneak under our radar and wreak havoc in our lives, like a hidden rust or a rot. Afflictions can bring health problems, cognitive problems, relational problems, and of course, spiritual problems. It can take years to learn to cope with grief and trauma. We develop trust issues. We can lose our ability to function in normal society. World-shattering affliction can cause us to lose interest in the joys and dreams we once had. It can knock the wind out of our spirit. Some will quit their jobs, sell their houses, uproot themselves from a house they lived in most of their lives, moving away from the only community they've ever known. Some do this because of the affliction. Others do it because of the collateral damage that their affliction brings. Afflictions change us. We wonder if we'll ever return to normal, whatever that is. Maybe the change is permanent. Normal is gone from us forever, so we blindly feel our way to discover what this new normal will be. We know it's not what it is now. We're stuck indefinitely in a weird limbo between the old normal and the new normal. We wrestle with the will of God for us. Is this what he wants for us? Why did he allow this, and at this time, of all times? Was this his plan for us all along? Did he ordain this affliction for our good? When will we see... The good. As we learn to live with the affliction, we also have to learn to live with the wider impact, the collateral damage that it brings into our lives. We know clearly the epicenter of our affliction, and so does everyone else. But how far the damage radius extends, only we know. This tandem cartload of limitations and losses contributes to the difficulties that we face, and they hinder our ability to find our new normal. People are often confused about why it's taking you so long to find your new normal. It's because they're only looking at the tip of the iceberg from afar. What they can't see is the monstrosity of the iceberg that is below the surface of the water. All those multitude of other problems that weigh us down. And that itself adds to the weight of our burden. It's no wonder we're so exhausted and our spirits are so drained. When people deal with affliction, they also have to deal with the cartloads of baggage that follow behind. 
I thank God for the Psalms of Lament. They show me that my pain and despair are not sin, are not weakness. It's part of the experience of God's people, and in that, there can be worship of God. I thank God for the book of Job. Job was a righteous man who knew the truth of God, yet he cursed the day of his birth, and he longed for death. He questioned God. He defended himself when everyone around him thought he was in error and responsible for his own calamity. There is one book I wish was in the Bible, and I'm going to have to wait until I get to heaven to see if it's on the shelves in heaven's library to read it. It's the book of Second Job. The book of Job, First Job, gives us seven verses that summarize God's blessing upon Job after all the evil he brought upon him. Job's health was restored. His wealth doubled from what he had lost. He had ten more children, and his daughters were of legendary beauty. But that's all we have. Seven verses. Second Job would focus on what happened in Job's life between verses 9 and 10 of chapter 42, between the immediate end of Job's trial and Job's twofold blessing. How many years did it take for this blessing to come to fruition for Job? What were those years like for this broken, wounded man and his wife to recover and to learn to live again? How did they handle the long tale of such a tremendous calamity in their life? I don't think we understand the scale of the tragedy that Job and his wife faced because we so easily look down at Job's wife because she told Job to curse God and die. This is a woman who lost all ten of her children in a single day. Her family was bankrupt. Her husband was stricken by a horrible skin disease. Yes, Job was more righteous than she because he accepted both good and evil from God's hand. But I don't think we have a place to judge Miss Job. Who would we have been more like in their situation? We aspire to Job and we think we would respond the way Job did. But like so many things in life, we tend to be ten steps behind what we aspire to. I know the pain of child loss. I can't imagine the horror of losing ten children. If losing ten is ten times the pain of losing one, I can understand her response. Some preachers have said this statement of Miss Job reveals that she was not a genuine believer. I'd counsel them to hold their judgment until they've lost a child. But I am saying that what she said in a moment of tremendous pain and disillusionment does not define her faith or the lack of it. I don't believe so. Mrs. Job's reaction gives us a glimpse into the calamity that she and Job were living day in and day out. It likely took decades for Job to recover and rebuild his life. Even with God's blessing, God could have rushed his restoration. Perhaps the Sabaeans were conquered and Job's oxen and donkeys were returned and the Sabaeans placed themselves in servitude to Job's house. Maybe the Chaldean ruler died and his son who took his rule was a righteous son who decided to return Job's camels and gave him herds of sheep after learning the fate of Job's sheep from the fire falling from heaven. And just maybe, Miss Job had twins and triplets and repopulated their family in less than ten years. Maybe. But God usually works through the common and the mundane. 
Mr. and Mrs. Job probably depended upon family and friends for their food and well-being until Job's full strength returned and he was able to become independent again. They had ten graves to visit, no children to help them. Job had to help his wife, who lost her ten babies. If their children had surviving spouses and children of their own, they would have needed care and comfort. The families of his servants had to deal with the loss of their fathers and husbands and sons. And Job would have been involved in this. And they had the agonizing grief and trauma of their own child loss and loss of employees. The calamitous impact around Job would have been unbelievable. It could have taken 20, perhaps 40 years for Job to see the blessings of chapter 42, verses 10 through 17. For those years, Job had to struggle not only with the scale of calamity, but with all the losses and limitations that followed in its wake. Imagine the birth of that first child, and all the work and all the emotions that would have come with that little life. God may have given Job ten more children, but those children in no way replaced the children that Job lost. Job and his wife would have carried that pain of child loss to the end of their lives. Consider Jacob, who said he would mourn the loss of Joseph until the day of his death. And he almost did, because he was near his death when he learned that Joseph was alive. You see, the book of Job deals with Job wrestling with his immediate afflictions, the first afflictions. Second Job, an imaginary book that I believe exists somewhere in heaven, deals with Job wrestling with the cart of afflictions, limitations, and losses that follow in the wake of severe affliction. Many of those would have burdened his heart and his spirit. So what's the point of bringing all this up? Just this. When God visits affliction upon us, he also visits the attendant limitations, losses, and other afflictions that accompany it. The debilitating effects of grief and trauma, the brain fog, the lack of cognitive function, losing interest in things we once found joy in. Maybe we'll have to withdraw from pursuing that second degree or certificate or that side business we hoped would allow us to quit our day jobs. We might have to stop serving at that camp or step down from teaching Sunday school or resign from that position on the community board. Our capacity to take on such things could be limited and some of those dreams may need to be set aside and they might even be lost. These collateral limitations and losses can sometimes turn into afflictions of their own, birthed from that first affliction. How many marriages break up after child loss? How many afflictions bring with them job loss, career change, or the end of a dream? We have good friends whose world was completely changed after affliction. The husband was diagnosed with a rare form of muscular degeneration. He worked in computer technology, running cables and keeping computers functioning at a big business. In time, he had to take a desk job. And then that was too much. He had to leave his occupation while his wife, who was a stay-at-home homeschooling mom, caring for their children, had to return to the workforce to be the sole breadwinner while he took over the domestic duties of the home. Both of them saw their dreams and their sense of role in the family dramatically changed. And as he continues to deteriorate, he won't be able to care for the home anymore, and he will need to be cared for until this disease takes his life. And to make matters worse, two of their three boys have since been diagnosed with the same rare disorder. 
Every part of their lives has been impacted by the limitations and loss brought on by this horrible disease. Losing a child not only brings grief and sorrow over the loss of that life, but it can inflict trauma. It can knock the wind out of your spirit or bring cardiac arrest to your soul. You might just be at a place in your career where you were poised to reach those goals you've worked so hard for, but now that your child has died, you feel like your legs have been cut out from under you and all of that skill, talent, experience you once had is in critical condition. It's hard for you to even attend work meetings, much less contribute anything of value. This is what I experienced. Not only did I lose a son, I lost my brain and I lost my heart. And it's had an impact on my relationships, my roles, and my career. And by the time I recover, I fear I may be past my prime in life and unable to achieve those goals I once had. What is my response? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If I can embrace the reality that the Lord took away my son, I need to extend that trust to God, to the other limitations and losses and afflictions in my life that have followed this greatest loss. The Lord gave me my son. He also gave me my skills and experience. He gave me my career, and I trust he gave me the goals I had for my life. What God gave, he can also take away. He can take them away one by one through a variety of unrelated means. He can also take them away through one affliction, one tragedy. He can remove that one card from our life that causes all the others to fall down. God is in control of every detail of our lives, from the affliction and from the limitations and losses that the affliction brings with it. Both the affliction and the card of collateral damage that it pulls behind it are in God's hands. Charles Spurgeon takes it a step further. He sees this pile of problems to be by divine design for our work. In writing to seminary students and pastors, he says this, These infirmities may be no detriment to a man's career or special usefulness. They may even have been imposed upon him by divine wisdom as a necessary qualification for his peculiar course of service. Some plants owe their medicinal qualities to the marsh in which they grow, others to the shades in which alone they flourish. There are precious fruits put forth by the moon as well as the sun. Boats need ballast as well as a sail. A drag on the carriage wheel is no hindrance when the road runs downhill. Pain has, in some cases, developed genius, hunting out the soul which otherwise might have slept like a lion in its den. Had it not been for the broken wing, some might have lost themselves in the clouds. Some, even of those choice doves who now bear the olive branch in their mouths and show the way to the ark, where in body and mind there are predisposing causes to lowness of spirit. It is no marvel if in the dark moments the heart succumbs to them. The wonder in many cases is, and if inner lives could be written, men would see it so, how some ministers kept at their work at all and still wear a smile upon their countenances. That's from Charles Spurgeon. Our afflictions and the baggage that they bring could be placed there to produce qualities and circumstances to shape our character, our work, our lives, and ultimately how we give glory to God. We need to embrace that first affliction, and we need to embrace everything that follows along with it. 
You're not outside of God's will because of these added forms of suffering, these limitations and losses and difficulties. They are all one and they are all subject to the hand of God. We need to give ourselves the permission to deal with them, even when others can't see them. We may need to step down from volunteer ministry to give ourselves time to heal. We will need to hold up a shield against the fiery darts of our own self-deprecation for not handling things as well as we thought we should. We also need to hold up a shield against the fiery darts of our own self-deprecation, our own self-criticism for not handling things as well as we think we should. We need to cast off the expectations of others and their criticisms. We also need the wise counsel of others who know us, who understand our suffering, and who have gone through these waters before. You need to give yourself time to adjust to this new life, this new experience, this new world. You need time alone, without distraction, to work through this with God and His Word. Without the medicating salve of prayer and the surgeon's hand found in Scripture, our adjustment is going to take longer. Do not neglect your soul in the midst of this disorienting landscape of your life. We need this tether to the hand of God, and we need to learn how to deal with our situation without being swallowed up by bitterness and despair. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking those he may devour. What do predators seek? They look for the weak and the wounded. Satan looks for us in our weaknesses, in our woundedness. Our pain and our afflictions cause him to salivate. We aim so much strength and so much energy at this primary affliction so that we can respond in a godly, biblical, and victorious manner. And then, often, it's those secondary afflictions, those unexpected and attendant forms of suffering that catch us off guard and cast us to the ground. Job wasn't restored overnight. This man whom the prophets recognized as one of the most righteous men in the Old Testament. The Bible doesn't use the term restored to describe Job. Job was blessed, not restored. Affliction can mark us for life. It's often something we have to learn to live with, even when the first affliction has been cured. And what we do know is that Job trusted in God for all of his affliction. And even though we don't have the book of 2 Job to turn to, what we do know is that Job trusted God for all of his affliction. He trusted God for the inconceivable calamity that fell upon him. And he trusted God for the decades that it took for God to bring him to the blessing of Job chapter 42, verses 10 through 17. Sparrow Falls is the ministry of Todd Schaefer. You can find our website at sparrowfalls.org. That's sparrowfalls.org. We hope to see you again. And though you walk in the midst of trouble, may God in His Word revive you and renew your hope. We look forward to seeing you again at Sparrow Falls.